Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news, the gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 11. We're going to share out of the Message Bible today. Let's share in God's good word together. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever tried to slow down and rest, but you can't relax? You tried Sabbath once, and you hated it. You try to read the Bible, but your mind wanders. You go to bed early because you're exhausted, but you toss and turn with anxiety. You watch TV, but check your phone simultaneously. Scroll a bit, answer an email. Sound familiar? This is your mind and body hyped up on dopamine, the drug of hurry. The problem is what is known as sunset fatigue, where by the end of the day, you have nothing left to give your family, your spouse, your children, your loved ones. They get the grouchy, exhausted you, and it's not pretty. At its worst, we lose the ability to love. We become numb. We simply no longer have the capacity to feel another's pain. We lose empathy. Now, today, you're busier than you've ever been. Yet you still feel you don't have time for what really matters to you. Day by day, then weeks go by, then months, and often years, and sometimes decades, and you realize you still haven't gotten around to all those things you said were most important in your life. If this is you, or just sounds like someone you might know, I want you to know that there is hope and there is help, and this message may be just for you. So here's the invitation. Take a deep breath, put your cell phone away, let your heart slow down, and let God take care of the world. Well, it's such a joy to have you with us today. We are in our second week of our sermon series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I first heard that phrase back in 2009 when I was in a class with Dallas Willard out in the Sierra Madres for my Doctor of Ministry course. And so um, it's really stuck with me, and uh, there's a young man named John Mark Comer uh, who also um, basically follows, is an apprentice of Jesus through John Ortberg and Dallas Willard and Richard Foster. And so we began last week um, with this, that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Will you say that with me? Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Now you might say, well, what is hurry? Hurry is a state of frantic effort in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. And and I know it can be hard to make the distinction between hurry and haste, 
We all do things quickly at times without really any worry, anxiety to it. But then there are those other times where we really are worried that if we don't get this done, we'll get fired. If we don't have this on time and somehow get up to a meeting just at the right moment, then things won't go well. That there's this worry and this anxiety and this fear that goes with that rush. That's hurry. And it's ruining our lives. Psychiatrist Carl Jung puts it this way. Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Don't you think about that? Uh, my good friend Deanne used to tell me, Mark, Pastor Mark, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think she's exactly right about that. So that was last week. This week is a way of introduction. Um, I want you to think about this. The average iPhone users on their, on their devices, two and a half hours a day. And for millennials, it's five hours a day on average. That's a lot of time on your phone. And that distraction can pull you away from a good and wonderful and meaningful life, away from the very people that you love. And you might say, well, this, it's always been this way. Well, yes and no. All the way back, even before Jesus, in the year 200, people complained about what this new tech was doing to society. There was this brand new thing that they had. And before then, they didn't really keep much track of time other than when the sun came up and, you know, when the moon came up. And that was it. Until... You guessed it, the sundial. And at the beginning of the sundial, we began to rush a little more, to walk a little more quickly, to divide our days and time. So yes, in 200 BC, people complained about what this new tech was doing to society, the sundial. And so it was interesting to me, you know, people really haven't changed that much in 2,000 years. So even 200 years before Christ, um, the the Roman playwright uh, Plautus, said it like this, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours to cut and hack my day so wretchedly into small portions. Yep, 200 years before Jesus, people were already complaining about time and how they didn't have enough of it and they couldn't get things done. It had already started all the way back, even before our master and savior Jesus walked the earth. And then if you you flash forward uh, about a thousand years, actually 1500 years, In 1370, in Cologne, Germany, the first public clock tower was erected. And so all you had to do was look up, and there it is. You can see the clock right there It in Cologne, Germany, over all the people. And it was right there in the center of society. And people began to move a little quicker. And then in 1879, the average person until that day slept 11 hours a night. Can you believe that? 11 hours a night. People simply got up when the sun came up and they went to bed when the moon came up. That was the rhythm of life. But in 1879, something very significant happened. You probably know what it is. Thomas Edison, he invented the light bulb. Then it was on. You didn't have to go to bed when the sun went down. You could stay up all night if you wanted to, uh, reading a book or writing or cleaning the house, whatever you wanted to do in 1879. And so... As we move forward and move forward, you know, today, the average person in America sleeps less than seven hours a night. That's a four-hour difference just from 1879. Less than seven hours when people used to sleep 11 hours. And it's having some important consequences. So when we talk about this change of pace, this change of speed, this change of life, why is it so important that we talk about these things? Well, 
Because in 2000, our attention span was 12 seconds. Today, it's down to eight seconds. Four seconds just in the last 20 or so years. That's a big difference. We're forgetting how to pay attention. We're forgetting how to think critically. We're forgetting how to hang in and stay with relationships and projects and deep thoughts and big projects. It's changing the way our world is. It's changing who we are. And it's a challenge to our soul and our ability even to pay attention to God. So one of the great mystics uh, of late, Gandhi, he says it like this. Friends, there's more to life than increasing its speed. Will you say that with me? There is more to life than increasing its speed. Um, At the 50th anniversary of Celebration of Discipline, uh, when Richard Foster was about to retire, they asked Richard, what are you going to do? And you know what he said? I think I'm going to take a year and think. I'm just going to think deeply about things that matter. Imagine that if you could take a year to just think, to slow down and really use your mind for something important. But that's not where most of us live. Psychologists today are now talking about an epidemic of the modern world called hurry sickness. Some of them even classify it as a disease, this hurry sickness. Maybe you know what that is. You know, you're in a rush, you're putting your kid in its car seat, and, and you know, you, then you rush to church. Maybe some of you are doing that. Some of you have rushed to work. You're rushing to soccer, you're rushing to softball, you're rushing to, you don't even have time to eat, so you swing through McDonald's and you're eating in the car on your way to something else. Hurry sickness. It's, it's not a peaceful life. It's a chaotic life. And so they, they define it like this, hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Continual rushing and anxiousness. Friends, that's not a life at all, although many of us have been accustomed to it, and we feel like we have to because all the other people around us are doing it. But you know, like grandmas say all the time, just because other people are doing it doesn't make it right or healthy or good. You can slow down and have a life worth living. Cardiologist Meyer Friedman was the one that coined the phrase hurry sickness after noticing that most of his at-risk, the people that, he was, that were really struggling with cardiovascular disease, those patients, they displayed a herring sense of time urgency. So he just looked at all of his heart patients and the ones that were really struggling were those who were always in a hurry, those who had a time urgency in their life. Uh, He says it like this, Friedman does. He says, a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve, and I love the way he says this, more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Boy, that's been my life growing up. People are wanting more and more done in less and less time. It's not that the expectations are really changing. They just want it faster, Um, more work and less time. That's what our world is asking of us, and it doesn't really work. Now, you might say, well, I really, I don't have a problem with this. Maybe other people do, but I really don't. So here's here's just a check for you. Do you move from one checkout line to another because it looks faster? When you're at the grocery store, you're at Walmart, whatever, you know, you're standing there, and you could stay there, but, ooh, over there, you know, it's three people shorter. I'll go over there. And then you know what happens. They need an, 
a, a check on an item or whatever. And so then you're slowed down and you look and the aisle that you left is now moving faster. So you move back. That is hurry sickness. Or maybe when you pull up to a light and it's red, what do you do? Well, you count the cars in front of you and you get into the lane that has the least amount of cars or is going the fastest. And, and maybe you pull over and you, and you zoom a little bit and then you pull over and you zoom a little bit and you know what happens about 30 seconds later? You pull up to the next light and you're all in the same spot. Nobody's really any further along than you were a minute and a half ago. But that's hurry sickness. Or maybe, just maybe, you get up not rested but tired. You get up tired and you live off of caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol. The four horsemen of hurry. Right? You, you get up and you have a cup of coffee and a, a Krispy Kreme donut. And then for lunch, you don't really have time to eat, so you, you grab some Cheetos or some Funyuns. Uh, and then at night, you know, you, you get a, a glass of wine to, to wind down and, and relax so you can go sleep. Sound familiar? I think a lot of Edmund lives like that. Maybe you live like that. That's hurry sickness. And here's why this is so important. Because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Whatever that is. If that's your work, then you become better at your work. But the problem with that is you don't take your work with you to heaven. You do take your character, who you really are. You'll take relationships with people that you love and that love you and that you'll get to live with for all eternity. What you give your attention to is the person you become. So how do we live this out? How do we do it? Well, first of all, let me say this. The solution is not more time, right? It's not more time because however much time we have, we fill it up. We just do whether we were sleeping 11 hours before the electric light bulb or whether we're sleeping four or five hours um, with, you know, the electric light bulb and all the other things that um, we have around us, these modern advances, as we call them. So here's the truth of the matter, which is kind of hard for us to, you know, digest. If you want the peace of Christ, live the pace of Christ. You see, in the Christian tradition, so much in the West, we talk about what Jesus said, and we often just kind of skip over the things that Jesus did. And what Jesus calls us to is his life, a life patterned after him, not just disciples, but actual apprentices, people who are learning from him, walking in the dust of their rabbi, people who are resting when Jesus rests. They say, oh, well, look what Jesus did. He, he got up and he went out and he prayed and he had solitude and he had silence, maybe if I want some power or strength in my life or to be reset, maybe solitude and silence make some sense in my life. It's not just something that Jesus did for him. It's something that he's modeling before us. Because our Lord and Savior isn't about coercion. He's about invitation and modeling the behavior that all of us can begin to live into. A life of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and generosity and self-control. It's a lot easier when you're rested. So the solution is to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. And you have to ask yourself, honestly, what really matters to you? What really matters to you? And if you, if you don't answer that question for yourself, other people will answer it for you. They'll, they'll tell you what you're going to do next, right? They're, they're going to tell you um, what sports your kids have to sign up for or, or what clubs you need to be a part of or what business you know, groups you need to, to be a part of or give dues to or your university, whatever it is. So you have to decide what's really important to you. And for me, and I hope for you, that God is at the top of that list. 
because that is the key to a wonderful and fulfilling and life worth living. But, you know, to do this, to live a life for things that really matters, you have to say no. You do. You have to have a thousand no's for every yes for you to really live into the things that you want to live into. I love the way Anne Lamott puts it. You've probably heard this. She says, no is a complete sentence. It, it's not, you don't owe everybody an apology or an explanation for why you do or don't do something. You can simply say, yes, I'd like to do that, or no. It is a complete sentence. So Jesus, he calls us to live into both our potential and our limitations. And I think our culture is really terrible about this. Actually, I think for most of us, our limitations are actually the way that we find our ministry. They're the ways that we serve the world. For me, I had an idea of myself. I had my own agenda for what I was going to do um, when I grew up. And then I blew out my left knee when I was a sophomore in high school, when I was 16 years old. And you know what? The dreams that I had included me being fully functioning on both legs. And that simply wasn't the case. I don't know that I would be a minister today, that I would be serving in the ways I'm serving if I had not had that great limitation uh, physically. But here we are. God uses our very limitations. He'll use the pain of your life, the limits of your life, and he will use them for his glory and the goodness of the world. You have limitations, so do I. We're not gods, we're mortals, we're humans. We have limits, and that's okay. No is a complete sentence. Would you like to do that? No, I wouldn't, and that's okay. And you know why that's so important? Because how we spend our time is how we spend our lives, right? How we spend our time is how we spend our lives. What you look at, what you pay attention to, what you do, wrapped up, that's your life. That's it. It's really that simple. And so you have to ask yourself, are the things that I'm thinking and saying and doing worth thinking, saying, and doing, says Henry Nowen. So, let's think about your average day. In the United States of America, the average American spends 705 hours a year on social media. That's a lot of time. You, you can learn something in 705 hours simply on social media, scrolling on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer. That's a lot of time, 705 hours. But it pales in comparison to this. TV, 2,737.5 hours a year on television. Are there some really good things on TV? Sure. Uh, 2,737.5 hours? Maybe not. Maybe so, but you might just consider what you're watching these days. Is it really lifting you up? Do you feel better having watched it? Do you know more? Are you a better follower of Jesus? Are you happier? Are you a better parent or son or daughter or uncle? Better citizen? Social media, television, 705 hours, 2,737.5 hours. And the average guy? Oh, well, okay, you know where I'm headed. All, all, all the spouses in the room of, of young men know this. The average guy, by the time we turn 21 in America today, has spent 10,000 hours playing video games by the time we're 21. And, by the way, as a 53-year-old guy, you don't stop at 21. You keep playing games because it's fun. It's a great way to check out. You, you love it. But here's, here's the thing. People will say, and, and, and experts have said, that 10,000 hours of anything 
has the potential of allowing you to become an expert in that thing. Think if you practiced piano for 10,000 hours, you could be masterful at that. Or or what if you read um, really important books that mattered to you for 10,000 hours? You could really have a lot of important knowledge. Or maybe, just maybe, 10,000 hours of pouring into your family and your community, your church, and the world. What might God do with that? Or... Uh, As Comer says, you get to level four in Call of Duty. Your choice, however you want to do it. So um, have a little fun with that, but you get the idea. So the Bible is pretty clear about this, though, for men and women, children and adults. Therefore, the Bible says, sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise. Your choices matter, friends. Making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. The scriptures are life and joy and peace. As we dig into them, we learn how to live with God and with others. And so, again, John Mark Comer says it like this, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to look not at just what he taught, but how he lived. Henry Nouwen says it like this, We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to Him. We we just, it doesn't have to be perfect time, it just needs to be time set aside alone with God so you can hear His voice and know how much He loves you, to stay connected to the one that loves you perfectly and forever. And of course, Jesus modeled this. Uh, In the Gospel of Mark, it says this, In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed, and Simon and his companions hunted for him. Have you, have you ever felt hunted, friends? I know I, know I have. That you just, you're just trying to get away just for five minutes, just trying to get a project done, just trying, to, you know, just trying to do what you've been asked to do, and people will not leave you alone. Jesus felt hunted. Because Simon says right here, and it's good, they were hunting for Jesus. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you, Jesus. Everyone. That, that's, that's a lot of people, friends. People will look at Jesus' life and they think, oh, well, it was easy for Jesus. You know, he just, everybody left him alone. He had this life of peace. No, he didn't have a life of leisure and peace. He had a life that even when he went out to pray, people came and found him and pulled him back into ministry because they were so desperate for his healing touch and his blessing. So Henry Nouwen actually goes to Mother Teresa and he's, he's looking for help. He's looking for help and he, he asks her, you know, what do I need to do to follow Jesus. What, what, what should I do to be a better disciple, a better apprentice of Jesus? And you know what she tells him? She says to Henry Nouwen, well, when you spend one hour a day adoring your Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you'll be fine. Really is that simple, friends. Simply put yourself before the Lord. An hour a day, take a walk. Look at his beauty all around the world. Listen to music that is uplifting and blesses and praises God's name. And just don't do anything that you know is wrong. Just don't do it. No is a complete sentence. Those two things, Mother Teresa says, an hour a day before God, don't do anything you know is wrong. It's a great way to live. So, back to Jesus and his life. I want you to see this. A leper came to Jesus begging him, and kneeling he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
Jesus was bringing salvation, healing, sozo is the Greek word, to the world. And after sternly warning him, Jesus sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's what Jesus says. And what does the leper do? Not that. The leper goes out and begins to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly. He couldn't go anywhere, friends. Because the entire world was looking for him. They knew what he could do. And people wanted a piece of him all day, every day. And he would have to go out into the desert, out to a a wandering place. A place that was desolate. A place of solitude. A place away from the demands of the day. And you do too. I do too. So Jesus stayed out in the country. And people came to him from every quarter. I mean, even when he was out there, people would find him. He would, he would have a little bit of rest, a little bit of peace, a little bit of sleep, and then back at the ministry God had given him. And people were demanding a lot of him all the time. And I suppose that is how it is for most of us. So if Jesus needed time alone with God, if Jesus needed time to rest, if Jesus needed time to pray and to hear from his Father, so do we. Because that's where life is. Because where we place our attention, where we place our time, well... That becomes our life, becomes who we are. So our action steps for today, just as Jesus needed to do it, we need to do this. I want to invite you to create an environment for attention and connection to God. That could be in your backyard. That could be uh, in in one of the rooms in your home. Uh, It could be um, at a library or or some other place uh, that you could actually go. It, It could even be a public place, just where you connect with God. Maybe it's someplace that you experienced God before and and you can go back there and you can remember, oh, this is where God spoke to me. This is a place of blessing for me. It's important that all of us have a place and a space and a time to connect and pay attention to God, that we can be renewed. And then this next one, I don't want to frighten you. I just, I want to offer it up as an invitation and as something that I've found to be very helpful in my life. And, And don't freak out here. I want to invite you to take a digital Sabbath, actually 24 hours straight without your phone. Now, many of you all have children. Many of you have people that depend on you. So do I. You have to plan for this. You have to make plans for other people to be able to respond on your behalf. You have to make plans around this. But it's so important that you're not distracted, that you can actually live at least 24 hours in peace. You can turn off your phone. Oftentimes, I'll I'll leave my phone either turned off or in the car, particularly if I'm with people. Because when I'm with people, their expectation and my expectation is that we're actually present for one another in the moment. And I can't do that if my phone is pinging me, right? And, And neither can you. And so I want to invite you to give yourself a break. Be able to say no to all the demands that come through that phone and simply rest and trust God. So take that digital Sabbath. Just one day. It's just a day, friends. Just 24 hours. And you can do it. Don't freak out. So take a deep breath. Put that cell phone away. Let your heart and your life slow down. And let God take care of the world. I hope you will. Will you pray this prayer with me? Lord, slow me down until I walk with you. Then keep me there in your loving presence. Amen. 
And with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those 